Hey, listener, Underdog Fantasy is the easiest place to play fantasy sports. Also, the fastest growing fantasy app in the industry. You can play Pick'em. Pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower total in each stat for this week's games for a chance to win big. You can actually win up to 100 times your money in a single night. That's right. I didn't say 10. I didn't say 20. Up to 100 times your money. Pick between two and five players. Build a pick them entry. My favorite feature, you can make rivals picks. Hit two players against each other. Wembenyama versus Nikola Jokic. Tim Hardaway Jr. versus Norm Powell. Kawhi Leonard. Versus Steph Curry. Who knows? Maybe Grayson Allen versus Pat Connaughton. You get where I'm going with that. You can do it all with Underdog Fantasy. Make sure you sign up today with the promo code DING. That's D-I-N-G. And get your first deposit doubled up to $100 as well as an instant Pick'em special. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the app store. And don't forget to register with our promo code DING, D-I-N-G, to get your first deposit doubled up to $100 as well as an instant Pick'em special. Must be 18 or older and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-522-4700 or visit www.ncpgambling.org. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest edition of the Woke Bros. Of course, I'm your co-host, Big Waz, back in Los Angeles, California, and I'm joined by my brother on the west side of Los Angeles. What's going on, Nando? I'm just, you know, warming up, doing some exercises for your birthday party on Saturday. (laughs) Yes. Doing a little detox, you know, pre- it's needed. It's needed because uh, we're going to go we're going to go nuts on the west side um, this Saturday to celebrate my 36th birthday, which sounds crazy to say. But yes, I will be trying to Danny Bester is very excited. He's like, uh, can we show up together? I, I'm scared to show up alone. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure you'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's all good. It's, it's going to be a great time. Um, looking forward to it. I love celebrating my birthday, bringing folks together and doing that kind of thing. But today on the show, we want to talk about some things that are happening in world soccer, the transfer window. I just wanted to ask Nando about transfer culture, because as you guys know, I'm a soccer novice. And so the way they do things is so different than... Everything they do is different than our established norms here in the States with our major sports. So I wanted to talk to Nando about that. Uh, Of course, we wanted to get into Tyree Nichols services was today. We haven't really talked about it at all on the show. So I wanted to give that a little bit of space. Um, But first, man, you know, front page of my New York Times website uh the fed raises rates a quarter point and signals more hikes ahead nando um this shit has like real world implications um obviously these rates are being raised on individuals individual you know wage earning americans but also like these federal these these corporations who borrow absurd and obscene amount of money and you know for so many years basically since the great recession could bank on having insanely low 
interest rates, I think that stuff is coming back to bite them. And I think that's where you see a lot of these like firings and big ass tech companies oh, yeah. and, you know, even meteor conglomerates who for whatever reason, they always think it's a good idea to carry this absurd debt. They're just like, hold on, these rates are actually increasing on us and it's not as cost prohibitive as it used to be and like yeah this shit has real world implications and you know we talked about it in the past nando like <laughs> these bad outcomes for people are by design the fed wants quote unquote people to feel the hurt yeah yeah no i mean it's it's really wild i mean it's uh you know, there was, it, this is all in response to inflation. I mean, I'm sure everyone has heard uh, inflation, inflation, inflation. It seems to have calmed down a little bit. Obviously, the big part of it was the was the Federal in, uh, Reserve interest hike in interest rate hike, uh, in, you know, last year. Uh, but they're raising it even more. Um, the point of this is to what they call cool down the economy to lower the inflation. And it just seems like I don't know, like you're you're cutting off the patient's leg in order to like, you know what I mean? Like it's it's one of, I I'm I can't think of the analogy, but you know, it's there's something uh, akin to that where there was an inflation, like that's that's fairly obvious. The problem is that I think the the diagnoses of why we had that inflation is always wrong. And we've talked about this on the show. I mean, I think the way the policymakers think it was is that easy money and then a lot of money being pumped into the system by COVID relief, right? The the $1,400 checks, mm -hmm. the various unemployment benefits that were expanded during COVID, um, the the loans to small businesses, and all, like just money pouring into the system, um, increase the money supply and raise the inflation. And that may have been a small part of it. But the other aspect that's un, that's not, that they don't really consider is that there was fucking COVID. And we've heard of the supply chain issues with China. And the supply, like that to me is the clear, um, real culp culprit of the inflation. And what they're doing by raising interest rates is like deliberately slowing down the economy, deliberately pu putting people out of work. Um, I mean, you just look at around Hollywood, around media, around tech, around many, many sectors, layoffs all over the place. And it's a direct result of the interest rate hike, interest rate hike. And that is by design. You know, there was a time where work, there was that time where workers felt like they had more power, they had more leverage, mm -hmm. um, they had more money in their pocket, they had the the ability to say no to work, um, which raised their leverage and was raising wages, and that's something that they can't they can't tolerate. They can't tolerate raising wages. They can't tolerate uh, you know more worker power, so they need a, di a disciplinary mechanism, and and that's what's going on with this interest rate hike. So that I mean, which obviously begs the question, Nando, like. <laughs> is the problem that there's too much money in like the problem is that workers are making too much money well, that is, is that problem. essentially it that is a problem for for owners yeah you know, of course. for capital they don't want workers making money like right that is the problem you know and who does the fed serve you know Normally, yeah. it serves the people, but it serves it really right. Like, because because that it, exactly. I'm glad you said that because the way they sell it is like, oh, look at your eggs, right? We're so worried about you, but if I'm making more money to cover the cost of the egg, then who loses here? 
Oh, that's right. The people who hoard all the fucking money. <laughs> it's it's so obvious, like that equation of goods and services, the price of goods and services increase, but the wages of the workers also increase to cover that price. That seems like an economy that is working. Yeah. In my opinion, I don't, I, I don't understand how you can look at it any other way. Again, of course, and you know, people being like, oh, it's not a zero sum game, but it kind of is. If like the percentage of the, the surplus value that's being generated, um, that goes back to the worker goes up. That means it's going down for the freaking capitalists, right? For yeah. the freaking men, um, the owners, uh, if you will. And so, yeah, this seems like a, a the fix to a problem that doesn't really actually exist. Yeah, no, it's it's one hundred percent true. I mean, and again, I think like it's just it's just incredibly callous and irresponsible. I mean, this was this they tried this in the night in the late nineteen seventies and early eighties, induced a recession. Um, it was incredibly painful for people. They raised interest rates like crazy. Um, it's the one mechanism they know how to use. It's the one mechanism, by the way, that's outside of democratic control, right? Mm -hmm. Like. Who voted for Biden's going to be like, I, I can't, I mean, what do I do? I can't do anything can't about the it. Fed. Can't touch it. Can't touch it. You know, like, and it's like, we can't do anything about it. We can't rally, you know, to, to, in some democratic way to oppose this. Mm -hmm. It's just completely, it's completely apolitical. Um, which is why you're seeing a lot of societies, uh, rely on their central bank more and more for policymaking. You know, as as kind of democratic politics withers away, you know, that this they that's they love that they love that the Fed can just decide like, you know, whatever it is, like 500 dudes um, at the Federal Reserve could just decide, oh, yeah, we're going to like just throw millions of people out of work. And what are they going to do about it? Nothing. They can't do anything about it. They literally can't do anything. What are they going to vote us out? They can't vote us out. They can't do anything. Like they can't they can't do anything. There's nothing they can do. Even if they remove Biden, they impeach Biden tomorrow. They're not going to do anything about it. You know, so. Right. um it is just completely undemocratic and 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 insane. So, um, yeah, I, I I I always find the, the the conversations around the Fed and the sanctity of the Fed as a kind of this like independent institution free from politics. And I'm like, that's the problem. It's fucking free from politics. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's absolutely, life, so. <laughs> absolutely no accountability. And again, they've they raised it and they said we're going to raise it again. Because people haven't been adequately punished. They want to spank us on our collective tushes um, and make us learn the lessons. No, you don't You don't deserve to make more money, guys. You guys got to be poor and suffer. Um, moving on from the Fed, um, like I said, uh, first day of Black History Month here on the 1st when we record this podcast, even though it will drop February 2nd. Um, another thing I see on my New York Times is, you know, um, Kamala Harris, uh, first female black woman vice president ever spoke at the services of Tyree Nichols, who was killed by the at the hands of police in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, it was caught on camera. Uh, you know, you guys know the story by now for, for a few weeks or however long it was. Sorry, I don't remember how long it was. Um, they kind of spent the time, the, the authorities over there sort of seeding the ground like, guys, um, yeah, there's a video that's going to come out 
It's going to make people angry. It's very fucking horrible. Um, you know, and this involved five cops, five black cops, which, I mean, policing sort of, sort of always shows the, 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 the problems with identity-based politics or thinking or representation-based politics. Um, these cops are black. They're not going to treat, you know, poor <clears throat> working class blacks any better just because they themselves are black. Um, there's an understanding institutionally that these people do not matter. Their voices will not be heard by anybody and they're the riffraff. And so we will treat them as such. Um, it doesn't matter that the cops are black or not. Where it does matter though, Nando, I think when a black cop does something, or I remember even, you know, when, remember when we had uh, our brother Kang up here, um, or even when it was an Asian cop in, New, in East New York, Brooklyn, when he killed somebody, you're more likely to go down for it. Um, the institution doesn't view black people any differently, whether it's blacks, Asians, or white cops, or what have you. However, you're more likely to take the fall, actually be charged with a crime, actually be put in jail. That's wild. When the perpetrators are black, for Shosky. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, obviously, it was an absolutely horrifying thing, and uh, just another reminder about the... the the violent nature of American policing and the violent nature of American society. Um, you know, we've, we've had like, what, like two mass shootings in California in the last couple mm -hmm. weeks. I mean, it, these two things are not unrelated. Um, and again, I think that is also a kind of under-discussed issue in terms of the violence of the police is that the, America is a very violent society with a ton of guns. And, um, you know, if you're a if you're a police officer, you could meaning like there's it's not unreasonable to think someone might shoot and kill you at any given moment. Like yep, it, it could happen because there's a ton of guns out there and America is a very violent violent place. Um, you know like there's there's a there's a huge focus on 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 what what they would call structural racism or white supremacy and that's obviously part of it. But there's other un, there's other kind of under discussed factors that play into um, the nature of American policing that is that are just completely under discussed i mean i mentioned the violence issue but also just the class issue you know like the cops kill a bunch of white that people part. too they kill you know? a lot of white people all of them are poor as shit yeah and that's the thing the, what they do is kill is poor people uh they don't kill a lot of rich you know people of any color um yeah. and you know the, the 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 sort of focus on on race of the issue and i understand why but it from a from a both from an analytical perspective, but also from a kind of political perspective, seems to open you up to this kind of thing. It's like, well, look, the, the cops were black. Like the right wing argument right now with the Tyree, um, with the Tyree death is like, oh, look, the cops are black. America's not racist. You know, like <laughs> even black cops do yeah. it. Duh. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, like they haven't seen "Don't Be a Menace" to South Central while drinking and juice in the hood. Like they already addressed this issue with the Bernie Mac character you know yeah. like i hate your black gums yeah i hate everything about you know like but you know that's obviously a caricature but it it, it, it they, there is a point there it's like okay like if it's a if it's a purely a race issue then what's going on here and it's like yes you can talk about like internalized racism whatever you know or like institutional racism and things like that but 
you know, there is there is this kind of under discussed under discussed vector of class. Um, and I remember the video of like the the you know the white guy shot by cops in in that hotel um, in that hotel um, hallway that was just like absolutely insane. And you know, I'm not saying like, well, what about the white people? That's not no. what I'm saying. I'm just saying that like there is a there it, the, the the sort of the huge part of the um, violent policing question in America has to do with the class disparity in America mm -hmm. and and the clusters of poverty, which is, again, also where a lot of the violence in America is mm -hmm. black, black, Latino, white, whatever. If there is a cluster of concentrated poverty, obviously, like, you know, a lot of black neighborhoods have like a overrepresentation of that but anywhere that that exists there's going to be violence there's going to be over policing there's going to be violent policing and there's going to be deaths both by you know from crime but also from 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 the police and it's one of those issues that you know it, like the boring old kind of left-wing socialist arguments of yeah you gotta you gotta like reduce the inequality in this society you gotta give people stable jobs you got to give mm -hmm. people a decent standard of living you got to give yep. people a decent kind of uh say in their lives and ability to have um you know the the the, the you know some sort of hope in their lives like that stuff would reduce this kind of thing dramatically i mean there's still a bunch of guns out there which is a huge problem and again it's it's got a thornier more difficult issue to solve than people give credit credit give credit to just given the sheer amount of guns that there are out there but you got to address these these issues at their core and there's a focus on police reform and there the, the absolutely should be several police reforms but you know as like jacobin pointed out in 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 this case uh many like this i'm quoting now from bronco's piece like many of the liberal reform efforts put forward as a solution were already in place in memphis when nichols was killed Memphis had banned chokeholds and no-knock raids. Its police department had put in place mm -hmm. mandates for de-escalation and intervention by fellow officers in cases of brutality. It's had training for implicit bias and cultural awareness in place for some time. And the cops that beat him to death were all wearing body cameras. You know, like, th these things, like, aren't... These are, these are band-aids over the sort of central issue, over the larger wound, which is a, uh, a class society that is horribly unequal um america is a the richest country on earth but with clusters of poverty that are you know at the rates of 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 some of the poorer countries in the hemisphere in in the world like where other societies just don't have this level of concentrated poverty the way america has and you know until we kind of address those issues these kind of things are still going to happen yeah and i do and i can hear you know a certain um kind of black person hearing uh the sort of um i guess approach that we're taking to this issue and be like yeah that's all fine and good but when you are black and you know if if we're gonna paint this as um structural class issues blackness is sort of used as the tip of the spear right um it's it's the main cudgel that's used um for to, to enact all of this stuff right um it's how you get these policies that fuck up white people give them terrible health care no um government aid no like you know standard of living trash it's the kind of the like blackness is how you deliver those policies and sell those policies 
to white people, right? And, you know, uh, policing and brutalizing blackness um, is how you prove that you're, you mean business um, about those policies, right? Um, and so if, if, if when you're black and you're just like, well, in the meantime, I have to be black and disproportionately deal with this, I understand that, um, that frustration, that hurt, um, I, that anger, I understand that. Um, but, you know, like anything else, because like, you know, when you talk to a, a lot of black people, because I, you know, because amongst my friends, I'm, I'm like the, the weirdo, you know, commie scumbag idiot um, who wants everybody to be poor and not wearing deodorant on a commune somewhere. Um, it's, it's this idea that like, uh, they feel like all of the wrongs that happen are connected to an ancient and deeper wrong that is slavery, right? So they people feel connected to a through line of oppression that dates back to quote unquote America's original sin. And what I tell every single black person is that I don't deny the role of race in our oppression. I just think it's, it's just an incomplete analysis of it. Um, you know, the idea that white people enslaved us because they're this special kind of evil people with this special evil gene that that God gave them or Dr. Yacoub or whoever gave them ignores the fact that slavery was incredibly profitable. Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum-sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. That shit made a lot of money. You know, that the making of the money came first, then came racism and yeah. justifying it. And maybe these people are half human and maybe they're this. And oh, who knows? You know, the Negro actually likes this and blah, blah, blah. All of those justifications and horrible things, awfulness, the awful oppression come after the fact that the shit was extremely profitable. 
right? Which gets at everything, you know, um, uh, material uh, issues, period. That's what it boils down to. And and to me, to my mind, if even from the, even the exception of it, um, the, the source of it is profit making, um, I don't see that. I don't see that disconnected to the issues that we as Black people face today. I think it's more of the same shit. Race is used as a tool to further advance um, the cause of profits over literally every fucking thing else, right? Yeah. And how we justified it is these defective people and their defective culture, and look at how they live, and blah 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 blah. Of course, we should be killing them. Blah 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 blah. By the way, you should be fucking grateful that you're not black, poor white person, and we keep it pushing. Don't think about nothing else, you yeah. know. And in a lot of ways, man. And I'm not the first person to make this point. We make so much fun of representation politics, right? Um, and how stupid it is to get hyped about Kamala Harris or to get hyped about the, you know, Secretary of Defense, the black dude, Lloyd, whatever his name is. Who yeah, Austin. <laughs> who, who literally gets plucked from the board of Raytheon. You know, the first people who were practicing um, this type of politics was white people. It's literally what they gave to the poor whites was like, no, look, the white man still gets to be in charge. By proxy, so do you. It doesn't matter that your standard of living is shit. Like, but guess what? White people have finally woken up to the con of that. And they don't give yeah. a fuck about that shit no more. They really yeah. don't. They're done with it. And, you know, I, I long for the day when black people sort of and you know, this is Black History Month. We sort of moved past this idea of these great black individuals and what it means for the race and redeeming the race and get to the um get to the brass taxes of, you know, we need to collectively come together with the people that have a common interest and goal um with us yeah. in um making everything better. What you just described earlier, and someone should clip it and like send it to students of of, of political economy is is Marx's theory of around like the base and superstructure and how culture gets reproduced, right? Like, I mean, Mar what Marx says is that like what he calls the base is, you know, basically the economic underpinnings of a society, how a society is organized economically, right? That's the base. And then the superstructure is built on top of the base that is, that is you know, literature, religion, the laws of the country, or the society or whatever, all of what we would call kind of culture is built on top of the economic superstructure of like the economic underpinnings of society. They both reinforce each other. The superstructure is there to reinforce that economic structure. <laughs> Period. And, 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 and then the economic structure reinforces that, that culture. And it's a, yes. It's, and it's, it's a beautiful cycle. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and then until you break that, which is very difficult to do, and it happens usually through some exogenous shock, like a plague or, a, you know, some natural disaster or an ice age or whatever, some major thing kind of upsets that, that thing, that is a very difficult cycle to, to, to break. Um, and, but that's what it is. It's like, you know, the, 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 the society reflects how it is organized economically. And that's, that's, that's the Marx theory about the base and the superstructure kind of explained beautifully. Yeah, what, what Nando's talking about here is 
like what what is Nando talking about? Like for instance, something like this this concept that the free market is tied to liberty and freedom, right? Like this idea that unabashed capitalism is the basis of human liberty, which makes no fucking sense, but it is baked into everything you see. It's like we are free because of this thing. And it only benefits the people who are practicing in that for everybody else to think that. It's not as if you on the individual level get to practice, you know, unabashed capitalism. You go to work, you toil, and you earn a fucking check, okay? But yet you think this system is producing the most incredible freedom um, that's ever uh, um, imagined. And again, like that idea gets implanted in us so that we think that like the the undergirding system is just supposed to be it's just so isn't it so beautiful isn't it so free isn't it so amazing when the reality is our fucking betters are absolutely crushing us um and you know the people at the very bottom of our system are not even just getting crushed they're getting ground into powder bro um, it yeah. is awful what we're doing to the people at the very bottom of our system. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, I just wish people would have a better understanding of that. And, and I think we'd be better attack a lot of our issues that way. Yeah. All right. Really quickly, you want to talk about Cancelo? Yes. I want to talk about Cancelo because, you know, I read the story in The Athletic. Shouts to my man, Sam Lee. Um, I'm listening, you know, various soccer podcasts that I listen to or whatever. And, you know, it's this idea that Cancelo, he doesn't like the way Pep uses him. Essentially, he wants to play every single game, basically every single minute. And when he's not, he's an extremely unpleasant person to work with. And Pep is just like, yo, this dude is poisoning my fucking locker room. Um, he's got the ear of management. Like, they love the guy, and they believe in his vision for the team. And so they basically shipped his ass to Bayern Munich. Um, uh, he's on loan, quote-unquote. However, there's no he's never coming back to Man City. Man. That bridge is crossed. It's over um, and done. And it just got me thinking about transfer culture in football, Nando, because, like, like, okay, so in the NBA, for instance, right, um, you will just be traded to whatever team. It doesn't matter. Like, if you are an important player, yeah. here's, here's how the NBA basically works. If you are important enough in so much that your salary is um, X percentage amount of what, you know, in American sports we call a salary cap, um, you know, let's just take Dame Lillard, for instance. Dame Lillard makes $60 million a year. I think the cap is at like 110, 115, whatever it is. But like as a percentage of the cap, like he is so important. And if a guy who's taken up a huge chunk of the allotment you have to pay players to make you good, his sort of spiritual and emotional well-being matters. Because if he's not playing his best, if he's sullying, if he's muddying up the waters, around the team and you cannot function because he's so important. And so like something needs to be done. Now, a dude on the bench sulking who makes $3 million or is on a minimum deal and he starts going like, boo hoo, you don't affect the winning. 
Um, getting rid of you wouldn't cost that much money. Like, we don't have to deal with you. Um, so Dame Lillard has a say in who acquires him. You know, he can make threats about not being a happy camper when he's acquired. But, like, he has a say. Portland ultimately can just trade him. And the team that acquires them deal with the consequences. But, like, there's a sort of give and take where a team that's sort of allocating all of these resources in order to bring in a guy as great and as expensive as, as Dame Lillard, um, they need to have some kind of assurances that he's going to play ball. Because yeah. he gets paid so much. He's so important. He's so influential. They got to do that. A dude who's kind of a $15 million player, like, bro, you show up. And you do what you're told no matter where they send your ass. There's yeah. no say in it, right? And that's basically the overall structure of American sports and the movement of players, not involving just a guy's contract is up, a team has another team has the money to um, spend on his new deal, and then he goes. In soccer, it just feels a little different. What is the culture? What is it like? Well, what does it mean to move a guy, soccer. and how does it happen? The biggest difference in soccer is that if you have a contract with a team and you're the third string goalie and you never fucking play and half the fans don't even know you exist, the team can't move you if they don't want if you don't want to. Wow. Everyone wow. has total power as to wow where they move, when they move. Obviously, like if you're out of a contract, then you're a free agent and then the team can kick you, you know, right. they don't have to resign you or whatever. But like if you sign a five year deal for X amount, like unless you do something to be in breach, you know, like something right. egregious to be in breach, um, you can you can just show up to training every day and do your thing, and you know, and you so and, so, and, so, so 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 basically, like, Man City couldn't just tell um, Jao Cancelo. Yo, um, we're sending you on loan to the Minnesota Timbers no. or whatever the MLS team no. is no. in the cold. Like, really, it just can't no. happen. No. Cancelo has to they be have like, to give him a nice situation at Bayern Munich, a fucking top team that competes for the Champions League. And he's like, okay, yeah. Like, I'm mad at Guardiola. He's mad at me. Find me a team. Or, like, sometimes his agent will find a team. And if he likes the situation, then he'll go. But if, if they were like, wow. we can't find anyone for you or we can't find a situation that you're happy with, he could stay. Wow. You know, they can't kick him out. Um, they cannot. The contracts are ironclad guaranteed. Um, you know, like Real Madrid has like two or three guys on their team right now who are just just collecting a paycheck. I mean, just as like their backup striker, Mariano, it's like notorious, man. He's like he's like they try to ship him out every summer and he's like, Nope. <laughs> and they can't do anything. Some fucking guy no one's ever heard of. You know, um, they, he's been on the team for like five years because they yeah, gave him this long contract. It was like a huge mistake. And he's like, I'm not going to make as much money at another team. I like living in Madrid. I like being on the team. You know, I like being on the team that wins and shit. Even if I don't play that much, I'm staying. And he's he's out of a contract this year and everyone's going to like celebrate. But, you know, he was able to stick it out. And so every single player in soccer has the equivalent of like, I guess like a no trade clause or whatever, like, mm -hmm. and trades happen. Trades are exceedingly rare in soccer. Like it, it's very rare that a player gets traded for another player. It's usually they get sold for a fee, you know, and then the team uses whatever money or, you know, they they buy other players. Like they, it's like an open market in that sense. Like it's like a, a cat, like a cash market um, mm -hmm. rather than a player market. Um, but yeah, it's it's they and the transfers are exactly the same. Not just the loan situation, but transfers are exactly the same. 
the loan situation is usually done uh, to like you know for some sort of financial uh, okay. engineering reason. But it's no, you know, it's functionally no different than a transfer. Depends. I mean, sometimes they'll do a loan. Like if you're like a young player and you have right. promise and you're on Man City and you're never playing because you're not good enough to beat out Holland or whatever, but they like you and they they like your pro they might loan you out to a so that you can go get experience player. somewhere else. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But some and then sometimes at the at the opposite end they'll loan out a player that they don't really want under their team, you know, um, who isn't playing and he's maybe a veteran and maybe some other team is desperate for uh, a guy like I oh my god my center forward got hurt you have this veteran forward that doesn't play that much let us have him for the rest of the season. And we'll pay his the rest of his wages, you know, for that season or whatever, or part of them. Sometimes they play part of them or whatever. And some of the teams will be like, okay, you can have him. Um, but then he's, he comes right back. This is like what they call a loan with an option to buy. I mean, it's functionally a transfer. They have like, they pre-bake in a price for the purchase. And when, when the loan is over at the end of the season, Bayern Munich has to trigger it. Um, and it's, it's remarkable. I mean, I mean Cancelo is one of the best players in the world at his position you know right like, it's like, extremely and, skilled for somebody who's supposed to be more defensive minded yeah like a fullback he's the modern fullback he's essentially like i got the skills of a midfielder um you know playing defense uh on the wing which is just like an increasingly important position and he's got like he's super versatile in that in in that space but you know apparently he's just kind of difficult to deal with when he's not happy and what in guardiola's like you might as well be gone um, I have another question, and it's more towards like the the sort of like is it normal the way Pep manages the team in the sense that he's constantly taking dudes in and out of the lineup? Is that a normal thing across the board for most of the best teams? Um, I would say, relatively speaking, no. Um, okay. He definitely rotates more than most, and he definitely is always trying to do. You know, he's obsessive, and he's always like. You know, this team, you know, this team, you know, attacks like really well through channel 13, you know, like when they're in transition and like, I need this guy to, you know, and you know what I mean? So like, he's definitely more obsessed. There's like a, a more old school thing is like, you got your lineup, you know, you play your 11 guys every single day. That's it. Keep yeah. It as, if they're healthy, keep it pushing, you know, like, you know, Pep does rotate more than most. I mean, honestly, it's, it's one of the reasons why I think he's been so dominant in league play is that it, is that he keeps his players so the league is a is a marathon right like it's mm -hmm. it's game in and game out you got to be regular you got to beat the player the team in front of you you know no matter if they're good bad or mediocre that's so the beauty of a league play is that every single game has stakes right mm -hmm. um but it maybe it maybe it does hurt him in the champions league i mean madrid is notorious for doing poorly in the league <laughs> you know um generally speaking and winning a bunch of champions leagues all the time you know and it's like when you have this like kind of defined starting lineup and you know pep guardiola like famously when he played in the champions league final was it against liverpool he played in the champions league final a couple years ago and uh, and he he benched rodri the center midfielder mm -hmm. you know it, it was like he probably had some reason for it. It wasn't injury. It wasn't attitude. It was like some he like out. One of his himself. best players, he didn't play because he thought it was some tactical reason yeah, why yeah. in the final, and they and end like, up losing. They lo they lose, and it was like it, watching the game. I remember thinking like, you know, it really would have been nice, you know. In the game. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs>
Yeah, because the and the reason why I asked this is because I'm like, yo, like he like this guy seems to be really mad at Pep in the way he's managing his minutes um and his time played and his starts or whatever. And I'm wondering, like, is he gonna go to a team where they're just like, no, you just play every single day? No, I mean Byron's not gonna do that either. Um you know, but it's a new situation. Like he, he, the Bayern, Bayern also is like a very modern team. They rotate. You know, like these days they have fucking like they they put like sensors on these players and like in training they can see right. if like their muscle fatigue is like right, 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 you know, right yeah, uh, hitting uh, fifteen minutes earlier than yesterday, and that that means like they might be like ready for an injury. You know what I mean? They have like all manner of ways, like they have like these advanced kind of stats to tell if someone needs needs a rest. And, you know, obviously like some of the more competitive guys, um, they want to play every day. And, and, you know, like Luka Modric is 37 and he wants to play every day. Obviously, he's not like a dick about it, but he clearly is competitive <laughs> and he wants to play every day. He says like, I'm better. I feel better and feel like when I'm just in the rhythm of playing every single game, you know, some guys need to rest and it's just yeah. it's different for every player and a, a smart coach can kind of manage that um it does seem like Cancelo's like a little insane about it <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that seems to be the general sense like the like people were trying to be like the reporters were trying to be diplomatic but they were like you know we talked to people at his previous clubs like we talked to people at Juve we don't like yeah when he went to Man City they were like is he gonna like like it over there he's kind of a hothead about certain things and playing time is one of those things so yeah i just wanted to get a better sense of you know the surrounding circumstances of the you know the transfer because yeah people felt like this shit came out of nowhere and were pretty shocked about the whole thing um and i just wanted to get a better understanding about transfer culture as well as like like, should this guy be playing in 50 matches? <laughs> Is this like some outlier situation? Because, you know, like I think about, like, say, Golden State's um, offensive system, where Steve yeah. Kerr likes to do this egalitarian, everybody touches the ball, the ball finds energy. Because Steve Kerr himself was a role player. So he understands the value of having people who aren't Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, feel like they're involved in what you do. If you are, say, a star player and you walk into a situation like that and you are used to dominating the ball, you might not like that system. And guess what? It's not a very common one. So that's why I was just asking, like, is he just in, like, an uncommon situation? It's like, no, like, bruh, you can't play every game. <laughs> what the yeah. fuck? Oh, man. Anyway, that's our show for this week. Uh, make sure you guys become a Patreon, patreon.com backslash count the dings um we will see you guys next week peace out